A horrific situation in Saskatchewan as police looking for one suspect after the other has died. A stabbing rampage in Saskatchewan. And it has many asking the question, the emergency alerts that get sent out, is there a better way to use that system? And what about social media? And what should public take away from all of that messaging? Speaking of messaging or messages, I had a situation over the weekend with my phone, which was a story unto itself, but it had me asking the question, why do I have so much digital junk? And as for the phone, you're not going to believe what I had to do to get it back up and running. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. And this is the Tuesday, September 6th podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, we're all together, sort of. I mean, you, you know, Greg's down the street, down the hall. Loren's south of the city. But, uh, Greg, you're back from Regina. Let's start with you. How are you feeling? You were the, the studio was in the dark all morning. You had the lights out. Are you still feeling some pain? Yeah. Uh, listen, <laughs> I made the most of my time in Regina. That's all I'm going to say at this point. We had a blast. Uh, there were eight of us all together. And uh, there was adult fun. There was family-friendly fun. It was a nice combination of uh, of events, shall we say, over the Labor Day weekend in Regina. Although we all know, Loren, that there is a dark shadow upon uh, the province of Saskatchewan and has been since Sunday morning. Just uh, a horrific uh, turn of events in that province that has so many people on edge. It's so many people on edge and also just sort of sort of questioning how we do these sort of things and how you best get information out in a manhunt like the one that we're seeing in Saskatchewan. And I was thinking of you Sunday and so many others, Greg, because I was following your posts with glee as you enjoyed the Labor Day Classic and I thought how fun. And then seconds later, I see that in the midst of tens of thousands of people making their way to Mosaic Stadium, people trying to enjoy their long weekend, we have this massive manhunt underway. And what started off as just one, two, maybe three people hurt ended up being 10 people dead, 19 injured. And then, of course, we still have this one suspect on the loose and and the dramatic turn of events yesterday when we learned the other suspect was now dead. We'll get more into that in a moment. But did you guys all get the alerts on your phone? I never did. Yeah, I got a whole bunch of alerts. I was golfing at Granite Hills in Lac du Bonnie, and uh, I looked down at my phone and I saw the alert, and I figured it was uh, some sort of a weather alert. And then I started reading and thought, wow, that's... And I got several alerts throughout the rest of the day, Greg. Yeah, we got them straight into yesterday as we were driving from Regina to Winnipeg. And when we got the first alert, we were out and about in downtown Regina. And as it turns out, less than two kilometers from where the suspects originally, now it's one suspect, were spotted, and so it was a little unnerving to say the least, but the amount of information and the detail contained within that alert was bothersome. The lack of response, I would say, by a large portion of the of the of the province or at least the city of Regina, there didn't seem to be any you don't want panic. But there didn't there didn't even seem to be a, a great deal of concern, and I don't what, know what the source of that is. But certainly on the way to the game, there were people discussing the situation. But you would never have known 
that there was a suspected mass murderer on the loose in the city of Regina based on what was going on in restaurants, bars, and in and around Mosaic Stadium on Sunday. There was no sense other than a very large uh, automatic or semi-automatic weapon I spotted on one member of the Regina Police Service. That was it. There was nothing announced inside the stadium. It was all very business as usual. So how would you like people to respond, you know, is one of the questions. How should we be responding? One of my other thoughts was, you know, your kids might have been out. There's 13s, 13, 14, 17 might be out with their friends on a bike ride playing, and this alert comes to their phone, and I know it was a conversation in our house. Mom, what was that alarm about? Because it went off on my husband's phone, and you're trying to decide what to explain and how concerned you should be when you're, you know, five, six, seven hours away from the seat and, and where that concern should lie. So we're going to get the latest in the manhunt from Saskatchewan at 8.50, but at 8.07, we're going to talk to a professor out of Brandon University who's written about policing and social media and, and how, where it works and where there should be maybe some fixes because it's the best way, really, to get the message out. But then it allows for all sorts of different interpretations and also analysis and comments, and so it might be helpful in giving tips. It might not be helpful in some respects. So we'll have that chat just after 8. Also today, we are going to talk about digital junk, and a part of the impetus for this conversation is the fact that my cellular phone, my mobile device, is on life support. It just started crashing on me and rebooting on Saturday night, and it just went into this endless reboot loop until it just ran out of battery. And uh, I figured out a trick to, to bring, keep it alive temporarily, so we'll reveal that at 6.45. But uh, in an effort to get whatever I had left of my phone backed up, I had to log into Google Photos on a computer, and I spent like four hours trying to delete thousands of garbage pictures <laughs> so I could get the, what's on my phone into my Google account because my Google account is full and, unless I pay for more storage. But I'm like, ah. I don't really want to do that. Yeah, so I, I, you get 15 gigabytes of storage. So How it, many it, pictures does that amount to, not to interrupt you? Uh, thousands, because it, 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 it doesn't store it in the... The, the original quality or the original size, so it'll take a picture and it'll compress it a little bit. So it's still pretty high quality, but yeah, so that took me hours, and I thought, man, this would take me, if I actually went through all of these the mm -hmm. pictures on my Google one by one, it would take me a year, Loren. And then when you think about, and I've done this before too, because it happens often, the phone will say, you're, you've got no storage left, right? You're not near your computer to do a backup, and so you go through those apps that you might want to quickly delete that you don't use or you go to your photos and say okay fine I can get rid of this or I can get rid of these videos and I feel sadness every time I delete one because part of me is like well no I kept this around for a reason some of it's nonsense but some of it's fun and then I think why am I not doing something more like what more should I be printing out albums every two weeks or every two months or how do I bet do better with all this stuff that I have on there so we'll have more on this coming up at 6.37 and at 8.37 as we prepare for a slew of back-to-school photos this week. We, the question is, what do we do with all of our digital data, photos, and more? So that's at 8.37. Digital junk. Do you have too much of it? 
I know that I have too much of it, but I was uh, faced with having to deal with it over the long weekend because Saturday night, uh, my phone started to crash and reboot in an endless loop. And I did figure out a temporary way to resuscitate it. And we'll tell you how that went down in our next segment. But as I was, well, first of all, I got to say, not having a phone, I figured, oh, well, no problem. I'll just use, uh, I've still got my work from home kit at home. So I'll use my computer if I need to send out an email or something. But then I tried to log into my Gmail. No, I need uh, to verify that on my phone. Tried to log into my working. This is making me laugh so hard at you when it's the worst. (laughs) Trying to log into my work email. No, if I'm using it at home, I need the phone for the code. Tried to log into Facebook. Needed a phone for the code. I'm like, how am I supposed to commit? How am I supposed to communicate without this phone? Like, I get why the whole multi-factor thing—it's to be—it's for security purposes, Mackling. But holy smokes, MFA, all right. And I, <laughs> you know, I've had to sign in to a couple of different accounts over the last several weeks that I have zero, zero idea what the what the original password is or the password that I was using at the time yeah. supposedly was. So then you go through the whole rigmarole of resetting your password. And quite often that involves sending a text so that they can verify who you are and that you're using this from a trusted source, or at least that you're associated with another device that is in their system. And so if you don't have that phone at your disposal, then yeah, you could really be, SOL to use another another uh, contraction. Not not a contraction. That is uh, what do you call that acronym? Thank you, thank you, Loren. And <laughs> the point being that uh, for all these passwords that we have, how many times you just do the suggested one by the computer? The you know the thirty seven digit one with all the hyphens, upper, lower, case level, uh, and and the different uh, characters involved. I do that almost all the time now, and so I go by the facial recognition, thinking that's going to be much easier. But I can imagine that this is a little bit of a disaster for you, Brett. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I, I'm going to have to go get a new phone after work today. But I, I just, as I was trying to figure out, okay, I, I, I managed to get this phone back to life. I still have some stuff in it that I want to back up because my Google Photos account is full. So, but I've still got like I don't know. I think I had like two thousand <laughs> pictures and videos that I've taken over the last six months that have not been backed up. So, I, in order to make room for that. To get them into my Google Photos, I had to log into Google Photos and start deleting stuff en masse because it backs up everything. I've tried to figure out how to set it so that it doesn't back up everything, that it only backs up certain things. But everything that that gets into my phone as a picture or video gets backed up. So I knew that I eventually would have to deal with it, but it's a can. I just kept kicking down the road, Loren. And I spent four hours yesterday morning deleting stuff, and I didn't even scratch the surface. It's not just the photos. There's documents you might have. And then I was referencing earlier the apps. And if I go on my phone now, there's ones that you sort of silented or, or silent or muted over the past couple months, maybe because it's summer. But now you need to ramp them back up because fall. And so you might be using a team snap and a team linked and a seesaw and then a teams for your work. And then you had on there another app for scheduling and then an app for your runs and then an app for your gym, an app for your music for your gym, and then your Zoom. You might need Zoom when you can't use Teams, when you can't use Skype, when you might need... And it's just like, do I need all these things on here right now? And if I get rid of them, what happens? 
And then you have to bring them back and remember a password, which as you just mentioned, Greg, like I need like an IT department in my house. Mm-hmm. Is what I've come up with. Yeah, I have 16 year olds for that. Well, that's what I always say. It's my oldest too. Like I just yell out IT and he logs me on to different things and figures it out. But it's, I need someone to digitally organize my life. You used to have those organizers maybe at the front of your home, your whiteboards, your where you pin things up, your calendars. And now I need someone to come into my phone and like life hack my phone. I had my clean young, it up. Clean it up, exactly. I had my youngest brother come over to my house the other day. He was there happenstantially. But I said, you know, I've got a couple <laughs> Sorry, what? Happenstantially. <laughs> I said, I've got a couple of chores for you to do. I need you to connect this sound bar to my TV. He just looked at me like Seriously? You don't know how to do that? I don't know how to do it. I'm not ashamed to tell you I don't know how to do it. It's been sitting there collecting dust for three years. Can you please connect it? Yeah, fine. And so I had him do three or four different things. And then the whole idea of having 20,000 pictures on my iPhone. 2,300 videos. What am I going to do with these things? When am I ever going to look at them again? And then I've got this jump drive, which is outstanding, where uh, Rui from Nothing But Tech downloaded from an old CPU, an old computer, so just another digital stash of pictures that he downloaded 2,000 pictures onto that's permanently connected to the TV. I did figure out how to do that on my own, by the way. Very proud of it. But just all this digital stuff, I have 41,291 emails in my email box right now. Like your work if email? If you try to go get work rid of those, it's like a nine-hour process. Have you ever tried? I have you hit, tried. And you, you hit like clear up the folder and then yes. you watch that thing spin and, you're, and you just think to yourself, is this, it's, it's, the, it's like it's going under operation. Sure. Like we'll, come, we'll come out and tell you if everything went okay, ma'am. In the uh, meantime, sit in the waiting room right. and wait. That's how long it takes. It does take that long, and I'm fine with deleting some of them, but like our show lineups, I have show lineups, I think every one for the last six years, just in case I need a phone number or contact information for someone that we, we interviewed once upon a time. I'm horrified to get rid of something that I just might need one day. question is what's the weirdest fix the weirdest solution you've encountered to help you with a problem as mentioned my phone is on life support right now saturday night it crashed and it rebooted itself and it just did this endlessly until it ran out of battery so i charged it two hours later turned it back on and it continued the the boot loop as it were the reboot loop so it's like three in the morning i'm trying to figure this out I'm on YouTube. I found a video because I needed, I, like I was preparing to go to Granite Hills in Lac du Bonny on Sunday morning. Uh, by my, I'm dri- was driving out there by myself. My buddy and his family were staying out there and I didn't want to not have a phone while, and by, by myself on a 90-minute highway trip. Uh, and I just needed it to be able to communicate with them in case I couldn't, you know, if my phone was so badly off, I needed to at least be able to send him a text uh, to say, I'm not coming. But... Uh, I go to YouTube, I find this video with some simple fixes, like, you know, this might not work, but maybe it will. And the trick that ended up working, put your phone in the freezer. (laughs) This is shocking to me. Put the phone in the freezer for a few minutes. And I thought, that's crazy. Because, like, we've all had phones die on on us in the winter, right? You're outside too long, your your battery's full, but nope, it's too cold, it's dead. Uh, So I stuck it in the freezer for five minutes, and then I went back and... 
quietly opened the door for the freezer and saw that the phone was normal again. It worked. It prevented the boot, the boot loop. It took it out of the loop, but it was a temporary thing because a few hours later it died again. And I've, my phone has spent a lot of time in the freezer over the last 48 hours, including for 15 minutes this morning when I got to work. So what's a weird fix that you have encountered? Loren McNabb, why don't we start with you? Well, I'm not ashamed to have Googled weird fixes and not like I don't Google weird fix. I'll say like I have a coffee stain on the counter or this ring I can't get rid of or something's wrong with my clothes and a stain and whatever the internet suggests, I will try. So I have, I've put all sorts of concoctions on clothes, lemon on things. I've tried the mayo to clean a tub trick. I've used coffee grinds to work on cellulite. Let me tell you, that gets really messy. You do that twice and you're like, what am I, what am I after here? Like what's the end, <laughs> what's the end game? What the only one I haven't done because it seemed like such a waste. It was talking about freshening up your mattress and cleaning your mattress, and it suggested using vodka. And I just thought, heck no, I'm not wasting vodka just in case this works. <laughs> so that's what I did. But right now, I, I, if you have a stain on a piece of clothing, give it to me because I take great pride in trying to figure out if I can get it out. And right now, my go-to fix is a combination of uh, this detergent with Dawn soap, with water, with some baking soda, and then I will pour a little bit of like any sort of cleaning agent on it. And then I just I'll try over and over and over again to see if I can get it out. And then I walk around showing people of my family, check this out, remember? <laughs> and they're like, I don't care, mom. I'm like, yeah, there's a full full stain here. Mom got that out. They're like, yeah, it took you like a year and a half to figure it out, but. That's it. My fixes are the stains, and I will, if you suggest something, I'll give it a go. Good job. I admire the perseverance, the persistence to deal with those stains. I'll throw a piece of clothing out before I spend <laughs> too much time on it. Mackling, you're nodding your head. Uh, yes, indeed. I'm with you, Brett. I will give it a little bit of a college try, but then it's, yeah, I'm not spending a t- time. Shoes is a different story. I've been suckered into those uh, running shoe cleaning kits yeah. at Mall of America and then most recently in San Diego at the Outlet Mall in Carlsbad. The presentation those guys give it's like i don't care if it works or not you're worth every dollar i'm about to give you the entertainment value is pure joy and here take my money i'll take three kits uh, i don't really care if they don't work the one that is you know that one in the freezer counterintuitive but i have done the one with the with the phone and the rice yeah and that worked for yeah. me too i i broke or lost or somehow corrupted an iphone had it replaced and 3 days later dropped it into west hawk lake <laughs> as i was trying to get into a canoe a canoe I, i'd never been in, hadn't been in a canoe for years and years pulled it out of the lake of course like i say 3 days i've had this phone shake it out, run it up to the cottage, put it in the rice and sat and prayed and did a little bit of uh, talking to the gods above. And sure enough, I used that iPhone probably for five years after that oh, wow. without any difficulty. And it was completely soaked? Like it was in un- all under the water? It was at the bottom of the lake. It was in three feet of water. <laughs> yeah. I can't believe that. That's crazy. I mean, I guess this was well before, you know, now, now most of the phones are waterproof or at the very least water resistant. Yeah, there was no resistance here. <laughs> okay. Jeff Braun, what about you? When I moved into my condo, there were these big, ugly brown curtains in the bedroom, and they're still there. And they hang down, but they hang down way too low. They were, there's like a foot of fabric just laying on the floor. So whoever put these curtains up didn't measure properly, or I don't know how curtains work. Maybe you're supposed to cut them after you put them up. But they never did, and I couldn't leave it laying on the floor 
because there's also uh, the baseboard heater is right there. And so they were over top the baseboard heater and then onto the floor. I was like, well, I'm a fire safety conscious kind of guy. I was like, that's not going <laughs> to work in the winter. So I rolled them up at the bottom and then I just took some binder clips and some chip clips to keep them rolled up. <laughs> and that was 12 and a half years ago. <laughs> and those clips are still there. Ron, <laughs> just get new curtains. <laughs> I just put the, I put the bed in front of it so you can't really you can't see it unless you climb back there to change the sheets or whatever. So it's just every you know week or whatever when I change the sheets, it's like, oh yeah, I should probably do something about these curtains one day. And I never have, and I, I know I never will. Nah. <laughs> if it's not broke, don't fix it, Jeff. And Forte, what about you? Okay, I've never tried this. I've only seen it on the internet. I don't know if it's true or not, but uh, if you have like a rusty object, like a uh, a wrench or something like that. Apparently, if you soak it in Coca-Cola for like an hour, you can just wipe off the rust. Yeah. And I have so much questions about that. Like, mm-hmm. is this safe to <laughs> ingest? <laughs> like, no, no. And like, there's there's do-it-yourself tricks. Like, if you want to clean your toilet, they suggest putting Coca-Cola in the, co- the, the toilet to clean it out. I did a whole experiment in high school when it was Roundup versus Diet Coke, which one would kill the plant first. And I think it was the Diet Coke. You should be there's there's questions. <laughs> I would like that report, please, Loren, because I've got some weeds where I don't want them in my rock beds and stuff like that. <laughs> Can you send so that my way? Diet Coke, but it's not just try it. It's All cheaper. Mackling McGarry and McNabb, 204-780-6868. What's a weird fix, a weird solution, a weird trick that you learned to help get you through whatever the problem was, such as my malfunctioning phone, which required to be put in the freezer to stop it from its endless reboot loop. Um, temporary fix. I will need to get a new phone today. Uh, but what are we getting at 204-780-6868? Uh, something on vinegar? Yeah, this one is for headaches leg cramps this listener says rub vinegar where you're sore and the headache or leg cramp would be gone in seconds which i have not heard that one before but the next time it happens i will try that it reminds me of fixes if you get stung by a bee or wasp and you have that swelling i've uh we were traveling once and one of the guys at the hotel ran and got us garlic and rubbed garlic onto the spot where the bee had stung one of our kids and sure enough really properties yeah wow are bees vampires? I, I guess. <laughs> they don't like garlic? I, prefer, I don't know. I prefer Vicks Vapor Rub uh, for a variety of ailments, but this vinegar thing sounds fascinating to me. Well, especially the headache thing. If it helps with headaches, that's yes. miraculous. Okay. All right. I'm down you just to try smell this. smell like an onion ring for the next couple of days. <laughs> There's a downside to that how, Loren. There isn't. You just smell delicious. <laughs> and then uh, Jonathan, one with one that was he suggested uh, that it's gross, but I think it's actually quite practical. Yeah, I have a severe involuntary gag reflex, and so going to the dentist used to be a nightmare. About four years ago, a dental hygienist showed me a trick where they throw salt inside my mouth before taking x-rays, and it works like a charm every time. No reflex at all, and the rest of my visit is pretty good as well. That's great. Mm-hmm. That's a neat I trick. wonder, what is the science there with the salt? It must be the way you, it helps you salivate or something? I don't know. 
I would, or do I need to know? Maybe I don't want to know. Maybe it's just a distraction. <laughs> yeah, maybe it's sleight of hand. They use it on adults like that and then a couple kids and it works. It could just be distraction like a placebo. One of our listeners says with their Christmas lights, Greg, they use what? Bobby, Bobby pins, pins. Bobby pins. Those those clips that you get at Walmart or, or elsewhere, they're pretty cool. But I think they're made for the southern U.S. or the or at least the Midwest United States. Not for minus 40. And they're pretty fa- frail once they get cold and they snap super easily. So bobby pins is the solution this person says. Been doing the trick for three years now. Breakfast with the Bombers. I saw this in the script and was like, oh, yeah, it's Tuesday because yesterday was a holiday. Woohoo! Huzzah. It was a sold out Mosaic Stadium full of green and white with a generous smattering of blue and gold who gathered in Regina for the annual Labor Day Classic. In a low scoring game, there were a couple of critical plays which turned the tide on Sunday. This one would prove to be the last scoring play of the afternoon. And if you wonder, does Mike O'Shea believe in Mark Leggio? A 55-yard attempt in the Banjo Bowl with Mario Alford standing in the end zone. Snap, good. Kick is up. Going and going, and it's good! Mark Leggio from 55 to give the Bombers the 2018 lead. That's incredible. What a pressure and clutch kick by Mark Leggio. That's a huge moment for him in his career. Doug, let's do the three-minute warning because i got to calm down from that. <laughs> Winnipeg 20, Saskatchewan 18. The Blue Bombers battled back from a 14-point deficit to clinch a playoff spot. The defending champs moved to 11-1, and one, and the Riders fall to 6-6. Six and six. Derek Taylor, who brought you the play-by-play on Sunday, as he does for all Blue Bomber games, joins us now. DT, you covered all the bases in setting up that play. Can I throw this at you? That uh, that move to avoid a sure block or tackle on a punt earlier in the game was critical oh. by Legio as well. Was that clutch kick that we just heard 1A or 1B on the list of great plays by Mark Legio Sunday? I think I think the kick's got to be 1A, and I wish I hadn't said banjo bowl in that clip because like the thing that kept the broadcast from being perfect on that one. Like <laughs> I mean, all didn't the even stories. notice. I didn't no, even I, notice. I didn't notice either. I did. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So, yeah, but I mean, this the, the conversation around Legio, right, from last season all the way into this season, and it had calmed for a spell. But then there was that Montreal game where the kick that would have won it and the kick that would have extended overtime, he missed both of those. So uh, there's there has been the what's going to happen when moments get critical. Well, I mean, this isn't the playoffs, but that's a critical moment in a high-pressure situation in an unfriendly atmosphere, and he hits his career-long kick. Uh, I, until then, his longest kick had been 50 yards. Like he, he exceeded that by a mile. 55 yards in Mosaic Stadium to give them the lead and having the crowd hate you, that is a huge pressure kick. And I think as Bomber fans, we go, Oh, so he can do it. Oh, that's very nice. Now I can relax a little bit. Uh, that was that was a real big deal. And hopefully for for Mark, you know, you know, the, the moment that we go, okay, yeah, we're good, we're good. Yeah, he was the talk on social media for many at the end of the game and amongst fans, Derek. But I'm curious if we go back to the start of the game, the Blue Bombers won the coin toss. What role did that play Sunday? 
Uh, well, they lost the coin toss for like oh. a third time this season. They oh, lost the coin toss. My mistake. Toss. That was me. That was my mistake. I thought they won and decided to, to defer for the second half. No, it was strange because the, the Riders won the coin toss and decided to receive the ball. And then in the third quarter, uh, the Bombers essentially said, we want the wind in the fourth quarter. Okay. So they kicked off twice in the game, which is, which is very unusual, right? Usually it's one kickoff, one kickoff. And as Doug Brown said, you know, I don't love playing field position. I'd love you to have, I'd love, I want, I want to have the ball at least once out of the two kickoffs. So no O'Shea. And then the post game show mentioned why he, you know, the wind was a factor, and that's why they wanted to have it. For, All right. For example, Legio's 55-yarder. Okay. My, my my blunder there. Sorry, guys. Didn't mean to set you up for that. Now, the Riders had more passing yards, more rushing yards than the Blue Bombers, but they had more than twice as many penalty yards than the Champs. So how large a role did that play in the outcome, Derek? Oh, enormous. Enormous. Like they, they were forced to start drives. They were going to start a drive when they were 19. They took a time count violation in their own stadium when the crowd is dead silent, and then they essentially receiver jumped off sides, so now they're at their nine-yard line. And then it killed a, a critical drive when Duke Williams decided that, you know what, I'm not in this game, but I'm going to run over, pick up my teammate, and then beak off right in Dietrich Nichols' face because it's so important that I get my words in on this one, like, we're all trying to get our 10,000 steps in. He's trying to get his 10,000 words in, I guess. I don't know what Duke Williams' deal was on that one. But that was a 10-yard penalty that turned first and uh, second and three into second and 13. They ended up punting. And you go, well, that's that was a real mistake. Just, just you know, kind of semi-brainless mistakes and ones that just – when you take 12 penalties, whatever it was, they, some of them are going to come at critical times and absolutely affected the riders in that one. I mean – Ultimately, it came down to the interception for Jardo throws, but uh, without some of those penalties, they certainly would have had more than 18 points in that game. Yeah, and for the penalties uh, to be a factor is one thing, but also some questionable decisions in my mind with regard to the coaching from uh, Dickinson as well, including why are you throwing that ball well when you're when you're in line to kick the winning field goal. I know time on the clock, et cetera. That's going to be a topic of discussion uh, in Regina more so than it is going to be here. Derek, no shortage of situations to discuss with uh, coach Mike O'Shea, 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 which was ringing <laughs> after the game in the courtyard on Sunday evening. Tonight on the Coaches Show, we asked uh, on, um, I guess it was the Thursday last week, Randy Ambrosi about the Garrett Marino status last week and, and, and you know, lots of people wondering, if he should even be playing right now, etc., and and also the concerns about maybe Marino goes after Caleros in the game yesterday. The two did meet late in the game Sunday. Was Marino out of line on that play when he uh, knocked uh, Caleros to the ground on, on a running play? I, I think he was. Uh, like Zach just flips the ball off to Brady Oliveira. Or sorry, I freaking forget if it was Oliveira or perhaps McCray. Uh, but flips it away, clearly doesn't have the football. And Marino busts through the line, and he knows Calaros doesn't have the football. He, he can see it. And he he just kind of whacks him chest to chest. If he thought Zach would have the football, he would have tried to tackle him. But instead he hits him and then throws his hands up like, oh, I didn't do it, and then proceeds to, to try to chase, you know, sort of show like he's chasing the play down from from the backside. So I looked at that and, show, and said, well, it's rough. But it's football, so we expect rough. But it's just unnecessary, right? And the and the CFL happens to have a penalty titled unnecessary roughness. 
So I really thought it was. It's hardly the most egregious thing. Uh, and it's certainly not the most egregious thing he's done. It's hardly the most egregious thing, but you just look at that and you go, that's contact on the quarterback that's unnecessary. So I, I feel like there, you could well have a penalty there. Uh, O'Shea said the officials told him it didn't rise to the level of unnecessary roughness, but it was just another one of a guy who I know oh, I'm, try, it's either I'm trying to be tricky or look how cool I am or just just making it, you know, for a guy who had a pretty decent game in Garrett Marino to kind of to pull that late in the game. And, you know, I mean, you risk a penalty at that point. I just I don't get what's consistently going on with that guy. I think I need another definition of what unnecessary roughness is then, because it, it, there, there was it was not necessary to make that hit in that moment. It, it defines it in my mind, but maybe I just clearly am not a CFL official, Derek. Just wanted to play some audio before we let you go, because Greg, of course, was at the game and he captured what the Legio kick sounded like from Section Five Forty, Row Nine. Much celebration, Derek, up in the uh, nosebleeds at Mosaic Stadium. Who was it that called it about thirty yards out? He's like, hey, he's got it. He's that got was it. that was yours truly. I, I was simply oh, guessing good. at that point, so uh, I had to get something right right to, in terms of predictions. And by the way, if you were at the game, I don't know if you purchased a fifty fifty ticket or not, uh, DT. But if if you were at the game listening right now, make sure you check it uh, at uh, riderville dot com. That fifty fifty pot was just under five hundred thousand. The winner's going to get two hundred forty six thousand one hundred thirty six dollars so check it out at riderville.com because the 50 50 has yet been claimed wow it's a big pot yeah would be pretty sweet yeah. if a manitoban took that instead of someone from saskatchewan as well <laughs> i they, i bought tickets i don't know that they they didn't email me my tickets so i don't know what my numbers were is my problem and as a numbers guy that really is, is freaking me out oh boy hopefully there's a way for you to retrieve that derek uh but right? uh, what, although if you if you win, then maybe you won't be around to call the next game. So maybe we don't want you to win that. So Derek Taylor, thank you very much for joining us, sir. We appreciate it. Thanks, gang. And a reminder, coach's show tonight, Mr. Mackling, seven o'clock, seven till eight. Uh, Mike O'Shea, uh, like I say, he he guards his you know he guards his words, plays his cards close to the vest, however you want to describe it. But uh, lots to discuss, absolutely. As uh, we look back on. Sunday's game and get ready for Saturday's Banjo Bowl. It's Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Let's get right into this here. We want to talk about what's happening in Saskatchewan because the alerts regarding that manhunt in Saskatchewan started hitting many of our phones on Sunday and continue, Greg, this morning. Yeah, there was the first alert that went out Sunday about two suspects wanted in multiple Fatal stabbings. The warning, if you were in the Regina area, was to, quote, take precautions and consider sheltering in place. Do not leave a secure location. Do not pick up suspicious persons, end quote. There were many more alerts after that, as we learned about the mass stabbings that have left 10 dead, 19 injured. One suspect, Loren, is also now dead, the second at large. Yeah, so there were warnings for people in Regina, and then, of course, they extended into Manitoba and Alberta because it wasn't clear at what point where the suspects may have gone. And then there was an additional worry yesterday, a second alert about a shooting in a separate community that police believe was unrelated 
to this manhunt for the suspects behind the stabbings. But either way, your phone went off a lot this weekend, and it's been a lot for Manitobans, people of Saskatchewan, of course, and all Canadians to follow and understand. On the other hand, these alerts just might be the best way to keep the public informed. Christopher Schneider is an associate professor of sociology at Brandon University. He's also the author of Policing and Social Media, Social Control in an Era of New Media. Good morning, Christopher. Good morning. So in this case, the information, it needs to get out as soon as possible. So at a basic level, is this the way to go? Does this make sense to be using social media as much as possible? Yes, I think it's twofold here. On the one hand, as you pointed out at the top of the segment, the police are issuing alerts and warnings to people's cell phones, which is good. This is direct information from the police uh, informing the public of a dangerous situation and what they should do. On the other hand, I think what that does is it prompts people to gravitate online to find more information. And places they can do that, of course, are on social media. And we know there's a lot of information, including misinformation, that can be readily circulating on social media, and that could be problematic. So should the police be using social media? Absolutely. But it's complicated because it's user-generated and interactive. Christopher, I was in Regina when this alert was issued. In fact, was walking downtown with my with my children and with friends of mine, less than two kilometers from where this these suspects at the time, two of them were supposedly spotted. I felt that the information contained was was somewhat clear, but also ambiguous at the same time. I know it said consider sheltering in place and not to leave a secure location, but I found that most people in the hotel that we were at were not abiding by that in any way. And by the time you know, 12 o'clock rolled around, there were thousands of people out and about seemingly without a care in the world. How do we, how do we emphasize the, the message without panicking people? Well, I mean, that's just it, that the information is, is often ambiguous or not very clear by the police. And there are a couple of reasons for this. Uh, first and foremost, um, the police might not have all of the necessary information or indeed all of the information at all. I mean, when the, in the early stages of an investigation, the police have many different puzzle pieces and are, are obligated, I think, to inform the public about uh, potential dangers. So they can't say uh, with definitive certainty, usually, that the suspects are at this location, at this address, for example. And even if they knew that, the police, they might not want to say that because uh, um, people might gravitate toward there um, because they, they want to video it and they want to be present at the scene, which is, is obviously dangerous and can complicate the police investigation, especially if there's an, an exchange in, in weapons or other sort of violence. So the, the police can't control, obviously, what people are going to do with the information. All they can do is best inform the people on sort of best practices. So then the question is, when you get that kind of alert, particularly those in Regina and the communities where these stabbings happened, is what is the public supposed to do with these alerts? Well, I mean, I think the public, uh, you know, it's up to individuals, obviously. I think uh, one of the things the public should probably do is not to share information that would misdirect the investigation or misdirect, you know, say the authorities in locating these individuals. And there's been some confusion online. I've had a cursory review of some Twitter accounts, the Saskatchewan RCMP, the Regina Police, um, and the Chief Bray of the Regina Police, uh, for example, of the images that were first released of the suspects. Um, it was not clear that 
The images were accurate depictions of what these individuals actually look like today. They were out of date. Um, there was a lot of confusion by people online. Uh, the, the problem, one of the problems here was that the images were continually being recirculated, which is good. However, uh, the images were out of date, and so then people started putting new images up. Uh, apparently of the suspects that were more up-to-date. There was some discussion about, here's images the family has. And at that point, the public becomes confused, I think, about what information is good and real and going to help me keep myself and my family safe and what information is not. And that therein lies the difficulty. While we have you, I just have 30 seconds, and I know this isn't easily answered in 30 seconds, but we've talked often on our program, Christopher, just about crime in Canada and in, in violent crime being on the rise. And we focus often on shootings, but here we have what could be the largest mass killings with, with knives. And so do we also need to maybe pay more attention to knife crimes in this country? Well, I think absolutely. I mean, as a Commonwealth country, we look to Britain, and knife crime is, is a big thing in Britain. And I think that uh, they've set a good example, the British authorities and British police and, and people there, on how to deal with knife crime. And perhaps uh, as Canadians, we might be focusing on, on what they're doing and maybe implementing some of these strategies into our own uh, policing strategies in Canada. Christopher Schneider, an associate professor of sociology at Brandon University, also the author of Policing and Social Media, Social Control in an Era of New Media. Christopher, thank you very much for this. We appreciate it, sir. Thank you very much for having me. Lots of people going to be taking pictures, Loren, this week for Back to School. Yeah, you'll see them fill up your social media feed, so you'll only be adding to your... And I'm not going to call pictures of our kids junk. There's no way I'm saying that. But you're just going to be adding to that long list of photos. So what do we do with all this? Ritesh Kotak is a digital and cybersecurity expert and joins us now. Good morning, Ritesh. Good morning. So let's just start with the abundance of data we have on our phone. Do we have a sense of how much... I don't want to call us hoarders, but I never get rid of an app. I, I struggle to delete those photos. The, my email box is, is jammed pack. Do we have to start with a cleanse maybe a couple times a year? Yeah, just put it right in your calendar. Schedule a few hours and go through your your devices. Now, it's really easy and, and purposely app developers do this and these hardware developers uh, make it really simple for you to have more and more stuff. The default storage levels have, have increased. You got automated cloud backups, uh, if you move from phone to phone, they tell you what apps need to be downloaded and you can have things running in the background. So all the more reason to spend some time, do that cleanse, go through the apps, don't just uninstall the app, make sure you go in and actually delete the app and delete the content on there as well. Otherwise, uh, you're just removing it from a device and it's kind of just going to be in the background, still attached to your account. But yes, spend time and do that. Ritesh, the one that my kids give me a hard time about is is the four or five pictures of the same moment. Is there a way to go through and, and have my phone automatically delete photos that might be or are essentially the exact same photo? Yes, there are. So um, there are settings that you can go and identify duplicate images and even autom- automatically remove it. There's third-party apps. But depending on your device, whether you're using uh, iPhone or Android or something else, there may be tools that are actually built in to identify those images and remove the duplicates. And that will free up a lot of space. Like I, I know exactly what you're talking about because I, I got like eight, nine of the same images because you just hit 
click, 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 mm-hmm. click, click. And you only wanted to keep one of them. So I'm guilty of that as well. And in terms of staying on top of things like email, uh, Greg and I are, I, I refuse to actually say how many, uh, just even unread emails I have in my work email. It's embarrassing. But uh, part of the reason is because I don't have a computer at home. So everything I do is on my phone, but trying to clean up that clutter on an, on a phone can be difficult. So if you if you're in a situation like that, is there an easy way on your phone to sort of mass delete stuff like emails? Yeah. So what I like to do is I just like to search for a particular topic or um, or an email address. All of them come up, and you just highlight them and do a mass mass delete. There are ways of organizing it as well, where you can create subfolders. But what I found is what really is taking up a lot of space on my email is is spam. It's junk emails that I'm getting from different marketers and and individuals. Um, and I was like, yeah, I don't think I, we ever we ever spoke. So there's other techniques as well to kind of clear it up, which is unsubscribe from those numerous mailing lists and and report those spam and junk emails so they automatically don't come into your inbox. All those little tips can help clean up your email inbox. At the end of the day, Ritesh, and we have just about a minute here, is there a security concern in keeping too much data on your phone? I'm thinking of those spam emails you mentioned, or I often might just ignore when I get through my WhatsApp, someone's reaching out for, you know, invest in Bitcoin, and I just ignore it. But should I be blocking or doing other things just to prevent any further access to any data on my phone? Absolutely. So make sure that uh, your data is uh, password protected. Enable multi-factor authentication. Report the spam because uh, that's important as well so it doesn't come back into your inbox. It's kind of these high, there's a lot of high-tech crime, but a lot of them have low-tech solutions. So if you just do those simple things, you'll be able to keep yourself safe online and your devices safe as well. You know what? Let me sneak one quick one. One more 30 seconds, Ritesh. What happens with the multi-factor authentication if, say, you're sitting at a computer, you're trying to get into your email, you need a code to go to your phone. What if your phone's not working? Yeah, that's that. That can be a challenge. So there are multi. Again, it's called multi-factor because there's multiple factors. So it wouldn't just be your phone. There could be apps as well to authenticate other mechanisms. Um, a secondary phone. There's all, you got to build in redundancies to account for the fact that your phone may not work. You may lose it, and as a result, you don't want to be locked out of everything because you are too secure. Good point, Ritesh. Thank you very much. As always, we appreciate your wisdom, sir. Thank you so much for having me. Ritesh Kotak, digital and cyber security expert, joining us to talk about digital junk, such as pictures. And again, we're not calling the pictures you're going to take of your kids for back-to-school junk. Just It's just adding to the pile of stuff that we hoard digitally, and it can get away from us. I love these photos. And the little <laughs> signs people put about what their five-year-old wants to be when he grows up, like a hack guy or, you know, just random things. I love it. <laughs> uh, YouTuber, perhaps, or maybe uh, oh, Twitch. Yeah. Is it? Is that what they call it? Twitch? The I don't know. Twitch is, is a thing. And by the way, with the fruit fly concoction, you got to put saran wrap over top and poke holes, holes in it to trap the fruit flies. That's we, a good point. We you gotta, don't have to. You'll still. It'll still oh, help it get will? rid of them. Oh, okay. But, but okay. then you might. It's better to. It's better to kill them. If okay. That's where you're at. Good. <laughs> oh, by the way, Brett, I'm running downstairs. The blue bombers have food for us. Oh, fantastic! Sorry, Loren. Just as Kevin Bergen is about to show up for training, no wonder he scheduled it for Tuesday at 9 a.m. He must have known it was coming. (laughs) 
It's Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. It's now been more than two full days since a stabbing rampage took the lives of nearly a dozen people. Yeah, and police say they still have not been able to locate the main suspect in the case. Miles Sanderson is facing three counts of first-degree murder and is considered armed and dangerous. And as we speak, a massive manhunt continues to bring him into custody. Global's Tom Vernon is in Weldon, Saskatchewan, and joins us this morning. Good morning, Tom. Good morning. So we know we have 10 people who were killed, uh, 19 injured. The list is growing. And please say Sanderson's brother, who was one of the other suspects, was found dead yesterday. So what can you tell us about that finding and what you're learning about his death? Yeah, so Damien Sanderson was uh, one of the suspects. He was uh, wanted on one count of first-degree murder, among other charges. His body was found outside a home on the James Smith Cree Nation yesterday. He was found uh, with injuries, they say that he died from, that he were, they were not self-sustained. So they do not believe that these were self-sustained injuries. Now, they added to this that they believe Miles Sanderson is injured and may be seeking medical attention. Now, they did not give any context as to why they believe that. They did not release a cause of death for Damien Sanderson. Um, so this brings the number of people killed in this incident up to 11. Not a lot of details on exactly uh, the, the the manner of death or uh, the, the link between the two brothers now as, as it pertains to the investigation. So, Tom, with the discovery of Damien Sanderson's body on the First Nation, on James Smith, does, does that now eliminate the belief that the two Sanderson brothers were, in fact, in Regina on Sunday as they, they were purported to have been? Now, that was obviously one of the, the first questions that, that came to mind yesterday as the, as the RCMP and Regina Police made this announcement yesterday. Uh, Regina Police Chief Evan Bray says they still believe that Miles Sanderson was spotted in the community uh, 1145 Sunday morning. They, they said that was a credible tip that they were able to confirm through other investigative matters. Uh, they, he was seen inside that black Nissan Rogue that police are looking for. Now, Evan Bray says that they are still operating under the assumption that Miles is still in Regina because they've not received any information to suggest otherwise, although he does admit that that tip from Sunday morning is old information. Now, adding to the concern, obviously, here in Saskatchewan, is it's the first day of school. So Evan Bray you know, spoke out to parents saying, say, look, we've got a heavy police presence on the ground, the community, we're doing our best to keep it safe. Uh, but if you see anything suspicious, please report it, any minor, any detail even so minor. One other point on back to school, uh, we're being told at least one other school division in the province in the Humboldt area, which is in, in and around the James Smith Cree Nation as well as Weldon, uh, students going back to school there will be put in a hold insecure in their school. Now, police say Miles Sanderson has a lengthy criminal record. Global has learned he was granted parole seven months ago. What do we know about his record and parole conditions? Yeah, so we, we've got these documents yesterday, and those in those documents it showed that since turning 18 years old, Miles Sanderson has 59 criminal convictions. The most recent of them included assault with a weapon as well as assaulting a peace officer. Now, that parole decision, it was written on February 1st, and the Parole Board of Canada wrote Miles did not pose a, quote, undue risk, and that releasing him would help him become a law-abiding citizen. Now, attached in that report was a psychological report that was completed in October of 2020. Sanderson reported that he lives with depression as well as suicidal thoughts. The reports also detailed drug and alcohol abuse and affiliation with gang members and drug dealers as, as well as pimps. Um, the manhunt is still underway. He's still considered armed and dangerous. Uh, obviously, Regina police, they're working on the assumption he's in Regina, but RCMP, are, they say they're searching in multiple locations using boots on the ground as well as aerial surveillance. So they are still uh, very much on the manhunt looking for Miles Sanderson.
Before we let you go, Tom, I'm just curious what you're hearing from people within the community, not just around the shock, but the concern, right? Until he's caught, they're going to be living with that very real fear of further attacks. Yeah, and there's and, and there's also been a couple of other incidents in this area, a couple other of emergency alerts. There was uh, an active shooter that they were looking for in, a, in, in an area near Spearwood, Saskatchewan, which is about an hour away from here. We just got another alert about an investigation around Maidstone where there were shots fired and uh, at scenes in Maidstone as well as uh, Lloyd Minster in related to uh, fuel. They say none of these uh, incidents appear to be related to um, the, the stabbings and there's all the Sanderson case, but there, there's a, obviously there's a lot of concern in this community and in this area about what's been happening over these last 48, 72 hours and with kids going back to school. Obviously parents are obviously concerned with their kids going out into the community. So police say there's a heavy presence and that they're doing all they can to ensure that these communities and all the members are safe as they look for suspects and what has become quite a series of, of incidents in this part of the province. Global's Tom Vernon in Weldon, Saskatchewan. Thank you very much for joining us this morning. And of course, we'll get you the latest details throughout the day on 680 CJOB. Mackling, McGarry and McNabb just announced the offspring coming to Winnipeg with Simple Plan on Friday, November 18th, Canada Life Centre. And we're giving away tickets based on your weird fixes, your weird solutions to help you with things like my phone that keeps going into a reboot loop. Apparently putting it in the freezer stops that loop, at least temporarily. And uh, we, we got a suggestion the run which we read about 10 minutes ago from Peter, which just reminded me of something Peter said as far as uh, cutting onions goes. If you put a wet cloth next to the onion when cutting, that yeah. will eliminate your eyes from watering. I don't know if this is the, what happened here, but I've been in the even the last time I cut an onion, uh, uh, it didn't bother me. And I think it's because of my contact lenses. I don't know if that's if the there contact for shield. Yeah, tears. I think it might be because I remember the next time I did, I just had my glasses on and it was <laughs> floodgate. Well, it I also guess it just depends on the onion. I have the red onion doesn't do it for me. The yellow one does for sure. But it depends also. Sometimes some are just more potent, mm. if you will. I thought I'd finally found use for my ski goggles that I haven't used in 20 years. I, I, I guess I can put them away again, back in the back in the junk pile. All right. So uh, at 204-780-6868, a couple of runners up here, like Shannon, for example, who says, my son gets constant nosebleeds. I've got a fabulous trick if you've got a blood stain on any piece of clothing or carpet. Shannon says you pour peroxide on it, it bubbles, and you just rub it with a cloth and it's gone, and it can be dried up blood as well. All, she says it's one of the best things she's ever tried. I'm stealing this. That's a good one. And then, Greg, there's How much one. blood do you just have around the house right now? <laughs> well, if, if, if her son bleeds, it gets yes. nosebleeds like I used to. I used yes. to get nosebleeds uh, every couple of days. Me too. It was brutal. And then my doctor gave me some some prescription pill and gone. I oh, really I had to have mine cauterized. Oh. You had yours cauterized? Oh, yeah. Oh. oh, yeah, that was not fun. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sorry. And then we got one here with uh, WD-40 Mackling. Yeah, years ago I bought a brand new car with crushed velvet seats. Mm, rich Corinthian velour. I like that. Somehow I managed to get grease or oil smudge on the driver's seat and did not notice until the next day. I was pretty upset. Then a friend of mine said, oh, that's easy to clean up. He cleaned it up with WD-40 and then used a wet rag with sunlight 
to lightly clean up the WD-40. And another one of our listeners said WD-40 was the only thing that got his vinyl siding clean. Really? Yes. So there you go. WD-40 works magic, uh, apparently, on more than just squeaky hinges. And also what works magic, apparently, Loren, is Dawn dish soap. Our winner today is Amanda with an interesting use for the Dawn soap. Amanda says, I am like Loren. Being a parent, I Google everything for fixes. My go-to, which might be too much info. Unfortunately, living in a household of boys, I've had to look for toilet uncloggers, and Dawn dish soap is my go-to. Pouring dish soap into the clogged toilet, letting it sit for 10 to 15 minutes, and then pouring in lukewarm water after. You let that then sit for some time. In my household, it seems like 30 minutes, and you've got your miracle every time. And then I ask, well, doesn't like I thought maybe the soap and that much water would bubble over if you flush or something? <laughs> I just was wondering. Amanda says, no, it's great. It almost seems like it does a good job overall. And sometimes I feel even the most stubborn clogs won't be fixed, but it always seems to do the trick. I'm telling you, that Blue Dawn soap, I don't know what's in it, but it does more than clean your dishes. Why do they even make the other colors at this point? And why blue? Because i that's a good point, Greg. Amanda, you are our winner, but do you use just the blue or yellow or orange? I like the the purple one. I think it has like a lavender do it. smell. It's not going to do it. nothing for you, Brett. Don't go purple. Fine. It doesn't clean anything. <laughs> so thanks to all for your great fixes and solutions. We learned a lot today on how to fix some stuff or deal with situations. Amanda going to see The Offspring, Canada Life Centre. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Just a heads up, I believe that the uh, the freezer trick may finally have stopped working. Uh-oh. It's, uh, I had to put the phone back in the freezer for a few minutes and took it out, and my phone is just... I just took it out of the, the freezer like five minutes ago, and my phone has now just died again in okay, my hand. Okay, so that's drop it. it. It's just all drop over. It. Oh, you're here, Loren. I thought you were... I thought you were... Uh, I thought you were away for the last half hour. You did not read that email correctly, if that's what she thought. I'm going to be honest with you, buddy. You just It was the first line. I'm going to duck out at 9.50. I think that's what it said. And uh, I'm just going to out you right here, man. First line. It wasn't like it was buried in the message. I'm here. Brett, drop your phone. Greg, read properly on your phone. You're right. There. You're right. You're right. I saw and and associated. Yep. Okay. Never mind. Okay. All right. So- Hi, Loren. Hi. <laughs> ah, the first of two scheduled concerts to honor Foo Fighters late drummer Taylor Hawkins took place on Sunday at a jam-packed Wembley Stadium in London. This is from CBS, who broadcasted a delayed version of the concert on Sunday night. That was 16-year-old Shane Hawkins. It was the Foo Fighters' first performance since Taylor Hawkins' death back in March. He was 50 years old. So during this electrifying performance of My Hero, photos of Shane and his father appeared on a screen in the background. The star-studded lineup included Elton John, Paul McCartney, Liam Gallagher... The band is set to hold, Greg, another tribute concert in Los Angeles later this month. Oh boy, do I wish I could be there. Taylor Hawkins, who played with the Foo Fighters for 25 years, was of course found dead in his hotel room on March 25th, shortly before the band was set to perform in Bogota, 
Columbia. Also joining the extravaganza of music on Sunday were the two surviving members of Rush. Geddy Lee and Alex Lyson joined Dave Grohl on stage. Grohl got behind the drums for performances of 2112 uh, Part 1, Overture, and Working Man. Rush was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2013 by Grohl and Hawkins. Alan Cross, musicologist, host, curator of a journal of musical things and the ongoing history of new music joins us now. And I think I said that wrong. wrong. It's 2112 Part 1, correct, Alan? I wasn't going to correct you because that would be a bit embarrassing, but now you've got, you've redeemed yourself. Thank you very much, Alan. I just, as I was saying it, I'm like, yeah, this isn't correct. So Alan, there's long been a strong connection between these incredibly talented musicians. I'm talking Rush and the Foo Fighters. Yeah. In fact, Dave was in Toronto a couple of weeks ago uh, and he was spotted having a a very nice dinner with lots and lots of wine at a steakhouse called uh, Barbarians. Um, he and Getty have had a long, long relationship. Um, Dave's mom and, and Getty's mom uh, became, you know, very good friends. And uh, Taylor was a, a gigantic Rush fan. I remember seeing them play here in Toronto a couple of years ago. And uh, in the middle of the show, they just went off and did a bunch of Rush stuff. Um, so yeah, it was uh, it was nice to see Alex and Getty show up at at the event in, in Wembley. They're going to do it again at the end of the month when they do the gig at the uh, uh, Forum in um, uh, Los Angeles. Alan, it was obviously emotional watching Shane Hawkins, Taylor's son, joining the Foo Fighters. He's, but he's clear, like he's a very talented drummer. And so, what do we know just about what he's been doing growing up, and where he might like to go? Is music in his future, or is this just more a case of, you know, he picked up from dad and has some fun with it? What do we know? Yeah. Well, he, uh, yes, he's a very serious drummer. You can tell mm-hmm. by the way he played. I mean, at 16 years old, wow, he really, uh, he really filled dad's shoes admirably. He. Uh, <sighs> There was somebody who was backstage, and they were asking him, you know, hey, well, those are really cool skateboard shoes. Are you a skater? And he goes, yeah, no, I, I, I don't really skate all that much. Oh, well, why not? You live in California. Your dad was into this sort of thing. He goes, yeah, but I, I'm afraid of falling and hurting my shoulders because I want to be a drummer. So I, I think this kid has been set onto some sort of pathway, much like what we saw with Jason Bottom after John Bottom of Led Zeppelin died. Uh, this, you know, again, he's only 16. He's got an older brother who also plays the drums. They're 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 quite good. So we'll see where where this goes. Um, some people are already calling, saying that you know one of the one of the boys should be the new Foo Fighters drummer, but it's probably a bit too much to ask them to step in at this point, especially for somebody who's just 16. Now, this event uh, was obviously overwhelmingly emotional at times, and you would also have to imagine it was therapeutic. Uh, and the next show is coming up September 27th, as you mentioned, at the Forum in L.A. Any indications as to what happens next for the Foo Fighters? Well, that's a very good question, because uh, there is still a lot of unanswered questions. We still do not know how and why Taylor Hawkins died. Now, I've done a tremendous amount of work on this, and I've come to the conclusion that this was um, a cardiac event caused by a pre-existing condition. Yes, there were some drugs found in his system, but there shouldn't have been enough drugs. There didn't seem to be enough drugs to, in, in my opinion, for, for that to be the cause of his, the sole cause of his death. So we don't know why he died. We don't know anything about where his 
body is or his remains are. Um, and we don't know what's been going on in the background with the Foo Fighters other than the creation of these two shows. So I would imagine that, you know, you saw how big these productions were. Uh, I would imagine that sometime this fall, after a period of time where everybody gets a chance to decompress and regroup, they're going to figure out what their next moves are going to be. They're, they're going to have to do something in 2023 because they had to cancel a whole bunch of shows. So they had, uh, you know, lots of obligations for 2022 that they were unable to fill. So if they are going to continue, and I assume they will, they're going to have to find uh, an accommodation for the drummer position. And I, I have no idea what that might be. Well, I think it's a question on a lot of people's minds. This is, you know, in fact, one of the biggest uh, touring rock uh, bands on the planet, which means it's huge business. There's a lot of money involved. Uh, the, the the concert on Sunday was uh, widely well received. There is a passion for the Foo Fighters, as you know, Alan. I don't need to tell you that. I'm I'm right there near the front of the line. And and if you would have asked me six months ago, would this be the end of the Foo Fighters with Taylor Hawkins passing? I think even then I would have said no. I think Dave Grohl understands the power of this music. As emotional as this has been, it's also a, a huge, huge enterprise. And and there are a lot of people that count on this band to make a living. And I think that's got to play into the decision on this. I, I think it does. There are a lot of people who depend on the Foo Fighters continuing because not only is, is their, you know, the band, but also their road crew, their management team, people at their record company. I mean, this is a very large corporation that generates a tremendous amount of cash. What we saw with this, um, you know, but, but at the same time, we have to understand that if Dave doesn't want to do it, He's not going to do it. I think we're that's very, very clear. Um, but this show, I think, was very cathartic. It allowed for an emotional release. And it also allowed the band to draw a lot of support and power from the audience. So if I were any one of those people at the end of that show on Saturday night, and I'm trying to reflect on everything that came back from the audience, there's no way I'd quit. There's, there's no way. You just can't do it. But, again, decompress, sober second thoughts. Let's see what happens. Well, they'd be coming off that euphoric high, right, of that concert. And so you, we'd always encourage someone not to make decisions in that moment, Alan, just as a life lesson. But going forward, what, is, what does history show us about bands? Because bands will lose lead singers, lead guitarists, drummers along the way, whether in death or for other reasons. And when they bring someone new in, is it are they usually readily embraced or does it really just depend on that chemistry and the band themselves at this level it's all about chemistry it really is and the chemistry that taylor brought to the group was incredible he was like dave Grohl's security blanket they went and did all the um, um press interviews together and Taylor often wouldn't say very much. Dave would do all the talking, but he just felt better with, with him there. They were the best of friends. Their families hung out together. Uh, he was liked by everybody in the band, everybody in the management team, all the other musicians that they came into contact with. So it's, it's a chemistry thing. How do you find someone to fill that void? And that's going to be very, very difficult. You're never going to be able to find it, uh, you know, an exact fit. That's, that's crazy. Um, but you might find somebody who might come close. 
And maybe we saw a few examples of, of who could do it this weekend. I mean, uh, you know, Travis Barker plays with everybody. Uh, he's an excellent drummer. Um, Omar Hakeem um, maybe is a good fit. He's also an excellent drummer. Maybe Dave Grohl will do it himself. Who knows? It's really hard to say. I've wondered if Dave might do it himself, but a singing and drumming bad at his age. I mean, Taylor Hawkins often commented, Alan, about the fact that you have to be a high-level athlete to be a drummer for the Foo Fighters with the extended oh, yeah. concerts that they put on, and it's a very demanding job. So uh, that's that's another part of this, isn't it? Because two, two and a half, sometimes three hours on stage, uh, that being a Foo Fighter, in particular, Taylor Hawkins was a ton of work. Yeah, I mean, he would lose five to seven pounds per show. Um, he was a very hard hitter. Uh, and if anybody plays drums, you know that that takes a real toll on your neck and your shoulders and your arms and your wrists and your lower back. Um, Taylor was on a bunch of painkillers when he died, which was not unusual considering the amount of stress and punishment his body was was taking playing you know hours each night plus practice plus everything else he was doing so you're going to have to find somebody who is capable physically of of keeping up with uh the rest of the band that would maybe point to somebody a bit younger but again you know we're, we're going to see there's going to be a, a series of really really interesting band meetings at 606 Studios, which is in Van Nuys, California, and that's the band's clubhouse and recording studio, they're going to have to figure out what to do next because, like you pointed out, this is a large corporation. A lot of people depend on them. There's lots of money on the table, and somebody has to think about the future as as uh, this, this, this gigantic enterprise. Alan Cross, thank you very much. We appreciate it as always, sir. You're very welcome. Alan Cross, musicologist. He is the host and curator of a journal, journal of Musical Things and the Ongoing History of New Music. And that website is a journal of musicalthings.com. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone, and for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms.